This episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast is brought to you by the ECW Hawaiian Shirt Guy. Because that guy was really fucking cool. As we bring our multi-episode champion series to a close, we here at the Enhancement Talent would like to salute all of the champions of professional wrestling, past and present, for decades of incredible work. It is through their blood, sweat, and tears that the foundation of professional wrestling is built upon. That being said, we close out our series by giving you our top 10 WCW Tag Team Champions of all time. All right. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Enhancement Talent Podcast. I'm your host, the man in the rafters, the one they call Tony Lopez. With me tonight, as he is every night, we have the other half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez. How you doing tonight, Bob? I'm doing great, sir. How about yourself? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, yeah, this is our our last of our Champions Series recordings that we're doing tonight. I uh, hope you guys have all enjoyed our you know Champions Series recordings as we've done for like the last, what, you know, month and change, starting with uh, the WWF slash WWE World Heavyweight Champion. We've been kind of we've been going back and forth between uh, WWE and then uh, NWA slash WCW. First, their ch- WWE's champ, then the other guy's champ, and then we did the Intercontinental Champion, then the U.S. Champion. Now, last week, of course, we did the WWE. E uh, slash WWF tag team champions of all time. And this week we're going to fi- finish up our champion series by doing what we've been doing and we'll go across the aisle and we will do our top 10 list of the WCW. Well, NWA slash WCW tag team champs of all time. Um, yeah. Uh, again, it's just me and Bob this week. Uh, the Warsaw Blonde himself, Adam Kolavik, is not available again, but hopefully we'll be getting him back soon. Uh, if things have progressing the way he says he says is, maybe we'll even have him back for our next show, which will be great. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, we'll just uh, get on with our show here. But before we do, um, as we do whenever we have comments or um, notes from previous episodes we are going to bring them up here and this one again comes from our friend the mouth of the south suburbs rich tito who chimed in with his own personal top 10 list for his united states champions of all time um it's a pretty interesting list here uh i'll just go through the 10 through one and then we could talk about it a little bit here bob um at number 10 he has who we had collectively here on the Enhancement Talent as our number one pick, and that's Lex Luger. He has Luger at 10, and then your overall number one pick, Bob, and our number two pick overall on the list, Ric Flair, he has at number nine. Um, he says Ric Flair, um, parentheses, late 70s, 
whatever that means. I, I, I guess it's the era where he was going for the uh, U.S. championship belt, not the main belt. But, yeah, that's what he says. Ric Flair at number nine. He has Tully Blanchard at number eight. Magnum T.A. at number seven. Roddy Piper at number six. Greg the Hammer Valentine at number five. Barry Windham at number four. And this is where it gets interesting. Uh, he has Steve Austin at number three. Ricky Steamboat at number two. And then all the way up on top, the number one pick overall is Ravishing Rick Rude, which I was kind of surprised by. Um, and here's his comments here. He says, I tend to look at the U.S. title as the WCW version of the IC belt, which is pretty much what it was. Um and let's see here. What else does he say? He says, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, and Ricky Steamboat elevated that title with great fuse between 91 and 94. Steve Austin versus Ricky Steamboat was a very underrated feud that was cut by injuries and by Hulk Hogan's ego. Barry Windham and the Horsemen elevated the title. Valentine versus Piper at Star Kid 83 had the brutal and classic old school dog collar match, which we talked about as well. It put them on Vince's radar and both were gone within a year. Had Magnum TA not gotten hurt in his car accident, I would have had him higher as his feud with Tully Blanchard was one for the ages. Rick Flair's reigns in the late seventies boosted his career. And though Lex Luger held that damn belt the longest outside of his 89 matches, he was putting on great, he was not putting on great matches with the title. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of get what he's saying, but like we said, when we were doing our lists, um, Rick rude. Yeah. He had the 14, he had the 14 month reign, but like like you said, Bob, he wasn't really defending it all that much. He ended up losing it because of injury. Um, I just wouldn't put that, you know, I, I didn't have it on my list. You, I think you had Rick Root as an honorable mention, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, but, he was number you know, 11. Oh, yeah, you had him as an honorable mention. Adam had him really high on his list. I think Adam had him at like number two. But, yeah, um, but yeah Rick Root, I, I would not put him... Uh, in that upper echelon, I don't, but you know, Tito disagrees with me, I guess. Rick Steamboat, we had uh, on our collective list, I think he was he finished number nine Correct. on our overall on our overall list. Uh, he had pretty good runs with the belt, not gonna, not gonna, you know, dispute that. But then Steve Austin is another one that kind of got to me. Is Steve Austin. Like we said, it, w- it was kind of like a good and the bad with Steve Austin. He had that run yeah. with the belt, but then, you know, of course, that infamous second run, which he had it for like less than five minutes because he had to job out to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So it was, I don't know, collectively, I, I mean, Rick Rude, I wouldn't place that high. Ricky Steamboat, I could see the argument. And Steve Austin, I wouldn't even put in the top ten. But, hey. This is uh, Tito's opinion. You know, he's entitled to it. What do you have to say about uh, Tito's picks for the U.S. championship here? Um, I guess the way I'm looking at his list is maybe the way that uh, he viewed it was just the way how he mentioned it, the way that they elevated the title. Uh, Rick Rude was a fantastic champ. Steamboat, awesome, fantastic champ. Barry Windham as well. We talked about Barry last time. Um, he was highly underrated, in my opinion. All those people elevated the belts and made them mean something. But like I said, with Rick Rude, uh, 
you know, he he had that very long run, and I think I mentioned, you know, he only defended it like twenty times, I believe, and against Eric Watts and Van Hammer and like, you know, um Jimmy Garvin, people like that. Steamboat, yeah, he was a great champ. Austin, like you mentioned, the, the first run was great. The second one, you know, he had the job the dug in. Um you know, Wyndham and Valentine, Piper, Magnum TA, those are all people that we talked about. I'm glad he saw Flair higher on Luger, uh, uh, on the list on Luger. I, I appreciate you on that one, Richie. Um, but other <laughs> than that, uh, you know, just all people that we talked about when we did the show, he just had them ranked differently. Uh, again, I'm surprised with Rude and Austin being in the top three. Uh, we had Rude at six, Austin at love, uh, number 11 in ours. Um, but like you said, everyone's entitled to her opinion. I appreciate him taking the time and the effort and giving us his uh, his viewpoint just because I know he's a huge uh, NWA fan. So uh, thank you for reaching out and uh, encourage others to do the same. Yeah, exactly. And I'm hoping to hear his feedback with this, this list, considering that it's NWA associated as well. So, yeah, thanks, Rich, for uh, writing us in. And from that point, let's... Uh, Without further ado, let's get into the topic at hand for this week. We are talking about the Enhancement Talent's own personal top 10 list for the top 10 NWA slash WCW World Tag Team Champions of all time. Um, the uh, This belt, you know, it, like, like the WWF slash WWE belt, it has its own history. You know, it, it's gone through some iterations throughout the years. Um, it originally debuted in January of 1975 under the banner of the NWA. It was, I believe, what the, the official title of it was the NWA World Tag Team Championship on, you know, under the banner of Mid Atlantic, I guess is right. what you know. You're right. It, it was a, it was a long title, but basically yeah. it was the Mid Atlantic Tag Team Championships under the banner of the NWA, um, and it it continued to be like that all the way up until uh, let's see, 1990. That's when it became kind of a. Uh, the NWA slash WCW tag team belts, because by that point, WCW had uh, come into existence. Ted Turner had uh, bought the company, and WCW had become an entity of itself. And, you know, from 1990 up until 1993, September 93 to be exact, uh, then it just became the WCW Tag Team Championships. So mm-hmm. it started out NWA, then went NWA slash WCW, and then finally it was just the WCW belts. So, yeah, I mean, I know some of the lineage of these belts can be kind of complicated, but, you know, I think uh, this the this particular belt's kind of straightforward. I think at least a little bit more straightforward than the WWF slash WWE one uh, that we did last week. So that 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 you know was a little bit easier when it came to making the list, in my opinion. You know, you didn't have to go through different eras and different you know names of the belt or different brands and all this other kind of crap. Um, Bob, what do you have to what do you have to add on to it? What do you what do you think when you think of tag team champions when it comes to the nwa slash wcw um 
again, it's, it's a lot easier with regards to the lineage. When we came down to uh, last week's episode, we had the inaugural belts, and then there was the raw belts, and then there was the SmackDown belts. So it's kind of confusing. This one, you know, NWA did have their own version of the World Tag Team belts, which was 92 through 93. We didn't really talk about that one included in here. Um, they also had uh, a United States Tag Team Championship. So they, they had their own versions of belts. And then, but the one, like you said, we're focusing on is the WCW World Tag Team Championship one from 1975. Um, it's, it's still like. A lot of good teams, some of them that we didn't talk about last week, some of them that we did talk about last week uh, are included in this. So I, I look forward to making this list with you and uh, going over a lot of these teams and talking about them. Yeah, and which is exactly what we're going to do right now. Let's get into it right now. Like we do every week, we compile our lists uh, separately. Me, Adam, and Bob all make our own lists. And what we do is we assign uh, a point system for how we place each each wrestler or team on our list, uh, you know, based on where we put them, it's a different amount of points. And then we compile all those points together, and that's how we make our, our master list. You know, how many points they get through the voting is where they're placed on the list. And these are the results when it comes to our top WCW slash NWA tag team champs of all time. Um. Yeah, let's get right into it. Let's start with number 10 here. Um, oh, before I start, uh, like I said, Adam is part of the process, even though he's not on the show this week. Uh, he did contribute his uh, his votes. And also, just like last week as well, we're not doing any ties this week because if we did, we wouldn't have enough teams to make a proper list. So I did some tiebreakers. I'll explain the tiebreakers when we get to them. But yeah, there's not going to be any ties on the list this week, even though there are several teams that got the same amount of points. So let's get right into it. Let's start with number 10. Number 10 comes in at three points, and they got those three points by being an honorable mention on my list, an honorable mention on Adam's list, and Bob, you had them at number nine on your list. It's Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors, coming in at number 10 on our list. Bob, you had them highest ranked, so we'll start with you. What do you have to say about the Road Warriors when it comes to the NWA WCW titles? So we talked about the Road Warriors as the Legion of Doom last week. Um, I think they were an honorable mention, believe, correct? Yeah, they were. They were. Yeah. I think they were a unanimous honorable mention, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Um, so we talked about them, and uh, they they were dominating team no matter where they went. Um you know, when they were in the WWF, they were the watered-down Legion of Doom. But uh, in the NWA, WCW, they were known as the Road Warriors. That's where we first, you know, heard about them coming from Georgia Championship Wrestling. They dominated the NWA scene. Um, you know, they they were champs in the AWA. They were champs in uh, all Japan. But, um, you know, it, it was it was here where... where they, they first came about, and they had legendary feuds with so many teams. You know, they, they feuded with the... Uh, the, the Horsemen and, and, and the uh, Midnight Express. And in October of 88, that's when they won their, their one and only belt uh, along this lineage um, was they won the belt October of 88 versus the Midnight Express. They held the belt for 155 days, uh, 31 total defenses versus uh, five times versus the Midnight Express. They defended against Lex Luger and Sting 14 times. 
um, Sting and Dusty Rhodes, so Lex Luger and Rick Steiner. Um, they defended a lot, but then they eventually would uh, lose the belt to uh, the Varsity Club, who was uh, Mike Rotundo and um, Rick Steiner. And I think Steve Williams was a part of the group as well. But uh, they would end up leaving for the WWF in 1990, and they would win belts over there like we talked about. They ended up coming back to WCW in 96, but they never won uh, this version of the belt uh, again. They were, I, I did mention earlier that, you know, there were other various forms of NWA titles. Uh, they did win the NWA National Tag Team Championship. Um, but again, this doesn't follow this lineage that we're talking about, but uh, they were also NWA six-man tag champs with Dusty Rhodes. So they won a shitload of titles, but when it comes down to this one that we're talking about, one reign, 155 days, uh, they were a dominating tag team. They went up against the best that uh, at that time they had to offer. So huge fan of the uh, this version of the Road Warriors. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, like you said, they were a dominating tag team throughout their entire career. Every territory they went to, every country they went to, you know, they dominated here, they dominated in Japan, um, held belt upon belt upon belt. But, yeah, when it comes to this particular belt, you know, and the lineage to it, like you said, you know, the one reign for how much was a hundred and how many days? 155 days. 155 days. That's great. You know, that, that that's a really good single reign, but, you know, to put it like in the upper echelon, I, you know, I, you know, I think it, it definitely deserves, they definitely deserve to be where they're at, which is like, if they're going to make the top 10, be it like in the, you know, towards the bottom part of it, you know, okay. and that's okay. where they're at. They're, they're right at number 10. I think it's, it's a good spot for them considering what the lineage is and um, where the rain was as far as this goes. So, yeah, there we go. Number uh, number nine or number ten on our list: Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors, coming in with three points. All right, let's go to number nine on our list. Number nine, uh, number nine on our list has nine points, and they got those points uh, based on being number ten on Adam's personal list. They were number eight on your personal list, Bob, and I had them in number six. We're talking about the Midnight Express coming in at number nine with nine points. Now, the Midnights, you know, it's there, there are a couple. There's a couple of different incarnations with the Midnights um, that, you know, comprise this their 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 uh, their spot on this list. Um, the first the first uh the first team of Midnights that we're talking about is a team of Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton. Uh, they they are what many consider to be the classic iteration of the Midnight Express, and they had one run with the belt, one reign that went on for 195 days. And, you know, they, they had good runs with it. And then the Midnights, you know, I think the Midnights were a great heel tag team. Famous for having uh, Jim Cornette in their corner with the, you know, the tennis racket and all that. And the Midnights had a great run. You know, that one run, 195 days, is something to sneeze at. And then later on, uh, a new iteration of the Midnights would come in and they'd get a single run with the belt, too. That would be the Midnights that had Bobby Eaton. But instead of Dennis Condry, they, Dennis Condry was replaced with uh, Stan Lane. Uh-huh. And that 
iteration of the Midnights had one reign with the belt. They only held the belt for 49 days. But when you uh, add it all in, you know, two runs with the belt over 200 days for one team, even if there were different members, that's not bad. That's not too shabby. And, you know, and I give the I give the Midnights uh, a little bit more sway because, in my opinion, they were definitely one of the most talented tag teams out there. Of course, everybody re- remembers them. They were the main foils of the Rock and Roll Express, um, always getting in, in the middle of it. Jim Cornette was always, uh, you know, in the mix as a great heel manager. The Midnights, definitely one of the top teams of the 80s. And I think... You know, their place in the top 10 here at number nine is pretty well deserved. Uh, Bob, what do you have to say about the Midnight Express? Yeah, I, I was always a fan of the Midnight Express, especially, like you said, the, the way they wrestled together with Jim Cornette in their corner. One of the most decorated tag teams of all time. Decorated meaning they won belts everywhere they go. Uh, like you mentioned, the original version, Condry. Um, well, the original version, was Dennis Condry and Randy Rose, uh, they were champs in the AWA. Um, yeah. And then they went over to Mid South, and then that's when uh, when Rose left, Bobby Eaton comes up with Conjury, and that's the one that you know everyone started to really notice. Uh, that's when they started feuding with the Rock and Roll Express and the Fantastics and in Crockett Promotions in 1985. So then they went the belt in, in February of '86 for 195 days, like you mentioned. Those 195 days reigns that they held the belt for, they defended the title 106 times. Like, that shit's impressive. Like, holy crap. That is really impressive, Uh, yeah. Out of those 106 times, 44 of those matches were against the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, (laughs) Dusty Rhodes and Magnum TA, 16 times. The Road Warriors, 9 times. Um, You know... Hector Guerrero and Mandy Fernandez uh, 10 times before they eventually lost the titles to the Rock and Roll Express in August of 86. Then Dennis Condry, he ends up leaving. They wanted someone to fill them in, so that's when they brought in Stan Lane. And then, like you said, they, they won their second title September of 88 against uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. That's when those two were leaving for the WWF as the Brain Busters, and uh, they needed someone to take the titles off of them. So here come... Um, the, the Midnight Express, like this time they defended 19 times, uh, seven against the Fantastics, seven against the Road Warriors, uh, the Varsity Club, and also the Sheep Herders, who at that time, that's what they were known as, but we eventually got to know them as the Bushwhackers. Um, they lose to the Road Warriors in October of 88. You know, they, they had those fantastic feuds with, like you said, the Rock and Roll Express, the Road Warriors, the Fantastics. They also ended up winning the uh, NWA U.S. Tag Team belt three times, which, you know, was also one of the belts that they had in the NWA. Again, not a part of this lineage, but uh, they just won everywhere they went. Um, uh, after that, they, they start feuding with the old school original uh uh, Midnight Express, and we've talked about that in the past, but they never got another shot at the belts, and uh, but they definitely deserve to be on this list and talked about, so I'm glad they come in at number nine. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. At number nine with nine points, the Midnight Express. All right. Let's move on to number eight on our list. Number eight comes in also at nine points. Now, this is weird. We're going to have a stretch here where we have three teams that came in with nine points, but like I said, we're not doing we're not doing uh, tiebreakers this week. Um, usually, when I do a tiebreaker, I I base it on how many times they appear on our personal lists, uh, and all three of these teams that had nine points 
appeared on our list on each of our lists. They appeared on three of three lists. So I figured the way to um, determine their placing on the list, since they all came up with nine points, is to go based on the number of days they had the belts. So the Midnights came in at number nine. And these guys who also had nine points are coming in at number eight because they had the second highest reign of the three teams that we had ranked with nine points. And that second team, the team that's coming in this this week at number eight, is the team of Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Again, coming in at nine points, and they got those nine points from being number eight on my personal list. Bob, you had them at number 10, and Adam ranked them at number six on his personal list. So that's how they got their nine points. Um, yeah, the team of Arn and Tully, you know, of course, famous for being in the Rock and Roll, or not in the Rock and Roll Express, the, the Four Horsemen. <laughs> um, you know, they were, yeah, sorry about that. Braveheart, I was looking at a list here, and they were right above, <laughs> right above their names. So, but no, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, of course, uh, being two of the mainstays in the four horsemen uh, just great chemistry together as a team. You know, one of the best uh, tag teams of all time. They complement each other so well, uh, both great workers in the ring. Um, yeah. So here we go. They had their first run with the belt. Uh, looks like it came in. Sorry. I lost my place here. Their first run with the belt came in September of 1987, where they won the belt from the Rock and Roll Express, and they held the belts there for 180 days overall before dropping it to Lex Luger and Barry Windham in March of 88. And then they got the belts again, this time being Windham and Luger, 24 days later in April of in April of 88. And in that second run, they held the belt for another 143 days uh, before dropping it to the Midnights in September of 88. And the reason that they dropped the belts to the Midnights is because that's when both Arn and Tully left NWA slash WCW for the WWF to be known as the Brain Busters. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, Arn and Tully, fabulous tag team. Uh, great chemistry together. I mean, the four horsemen, as we did in a earlier episode, as far as stables go, the best stable in wrestling history. Um, yeah, it was, there's no denying how great a tag team those guys were. Bob, what do you have to say about Arn and Tully when it comes to these belts? Like you said, the uh, fantastic tag team, um, founding members of the original four horsemen with, uh, with the rock and roll express as well. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Thanks. I, I mean, Arn was the enforcer. Tully was pretty much the number two heel in the NWA behind Ric Flair. Um, so you already knew how much heat he already had and they were just a fantastic heel tag team. Um, you know, like you said, they, they won against uh, rock and roll express September of 87. Uh, that's when the midnight express came in and they, uh, they attacked the rock and roll express before the match. And, um, they kind of did the angle where they, I think Blanchard put him in a, in a submission maneuver and, and you know, his, his other part, uh, Ricky, I always get him confused. Robert Gibson uh, said to stop the match because he didn't want Ricky Morton to get hurt anymore. So that's how they end up winning the belt. 
They defended 19 times, four against the Rock and Roll Express, uh, against the Road Warriors, two against the Fabulous Freebirds, seven times against Barry Windham and Lex Luger before they lose to Windham and Luger at the Class of the Champions. We go to April of 88. They defeat Luger and Windham. That's when Barry Windham uh, turns on Lex Luger in order to join the Horsemen, which is one of my favorite versions of the Horsemen with Windham in it. Uh, 26 times they hold the belts, 10 against the Midnight Express, five against Nikita Koloff and Sting, three against the Road Warriors, uh, and then they lose to the Midnights. Like you said, they found out that uh, J.J. Dillon was making more money than them, um, getting more of the profits of the pay-per-views and stuff, so they got pissed, so they left, and uh, they jumped they jumped shift to the WWF. They became the Brain Busters. I think they, we talked about them last week, they, they end the demolition streak, and um, and then after that, they... Uh, Tully Blanchard ends up getting fired because he fails a drug test, and they never team up again, never win any more uh, belts. But, um, you know, it was, they were when they were together, they were a fantastic heel tag team, a great tag team together, and I wish they had a, had more of a future. But, unfortunately, you know, Blanchard couldn't get his, uh, his lifestyle together. So, uh, damn shame, but good tag team to talk about. Not until he found Jesus. Found Jesus. Everybody does. Well, not... Yeah, not well. Not until he found J- Jesus and uh, FTR. So ah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Arn and Tully, great team, definitely deserve to be on our list, and that's where they're at, number eight on our list with nine points overall. All right, and let's go to number seven on our list. Number seven, like I said, also comes in with nine points, but they get the highest rank because of the teams that we had with nine points. They had the belt the longest collectively um we are talking about the team of scott hall and kevin nash and for a little bit their xbox um the outsiders coming in with nine points they got those nine points by being number nine on my personal list adam also had them number nine on his personal list and bob you had them up at number six so let's do it We'll have you take it away, Bob. Tell us about Hall and Nash, the Outsiders. So Hall and Nash, when they came over, obviously, um, they they jumped ship from the WWF as Diesel and and Razor Ramon, and they came over to WCW in 1996, and they started that invasion angle, which to this day is still one of the greatest angles ever uh, for wrestling, even though it was pretty much stolen from Japan when you find out later. But, um, you know, they, they were... Creators of the NWO with Hulk Hogan and uh, Hall and Nash together, they created themselves as the Outsiders. They won a total of six belts, 475 days. Uh, Their first belt was October of 1996 at Halloween Havoc. They defeated Harlem Heat. Um, They defended the belt five times, two versus the Faces of Fear, which was Haku and the Barbarian. Um, The rest was a a bunch of no names. Uh, They ended up losing to the Steiners that sold out. That one was for 90 days. The second one, January 97, on Nitro, they beat the Steiners. Uh, they held the belt for 27 days. Um, so what happens is the Steiners had won the belt from uh, from them at sold out. Bischoff was a part of the NWO now, so he stripped the Steiners of the belt. They had the rematch that next day on Nitro, and that's when uh, the Outsiders win the belt again. That time they they defended it twice. Um against some team called Extreme, which was Ace Darling and Devin Storm, who I, I know that's Crowbar, but I, I really never even heard of that team in WCW. 
They had the Blues in the belt to Lex Luger and the Giant at Super Bowl. So the next night again, Bischoff comes on and he strips Luger and the Giant of the titles because he said Luger was not medically cleared to wrestle at Super Bowl. So now this reign is 231 days that uh, they're champs for. And this one, uh, they defend the belt 10 times. Bunkhouse Buck and Mike Enos, Ric Flair and Roddy Piper, uh, Mortis and Wrath, DDP and Lex Luger. Um, <laughs> and then they lose to the Steiners on Nitro. Um, they win the belt for the fourth time, January 98, on Nitro against the Steiners. Um and they defend, defend, defend the belt one time against the Steiners. Then they win the fifth belt, February 98, at Super Bowl versus the Steiners. That's when Scott Steiner turns on Rick, and he joins the NWO. Um, they defend the belt one time during that 84-day rain, 84 rain, and that's against the public enemy. Um, they lose the belt to Sting and the Giant at Slambury 98. That's when uh, the NWO starts splitting into the white and the red, the Wolfpack versus the original. And then December of 99, they win their last belt on Nitro. This one they hold for two weeks. They defended the amazing tag team, or they defeated the amazing tag team of Bret Hart and Goldberg. Um, And then when their champ Scott Hall decides to no-show, so they vacate the titles there. And uh, those titles are eventually won by Crowbar, who I mentioned earlier, and David Flair. Um, They held the belt six times for 475 days. Impressive. But who they defended it against and just the way that they kept winning the belts because they were stripped and everything like that. And I get it. That was the NWO storyline and you wanted to hate them. But um, just not a giant fan of the way the storylines were re- being written at that time. So uh, for them to come in at, what do we got them at right now? Number seven. I, I think that's a good place yeah. to put them. You know, um, I could have seen them even, you know, a little bit lower as well, but I think that's a good place to start off with the outsiders. They were a great tag team um, with the, with the reins when it comes down to it. But like I said, just the storylines that they wrote them where they won the belts all the time for bullshit reasons. Um, I'm content where they're at. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, shenanigans and and whatnot when it came with the NWO. I know that, but you know, when in that era, it was there was, you know, the Outsiders were one of the top teams. It's not, there's not even a question about that. Like you said, it was pretty much them and the Steiners. You know, Harlem Heat wasn't really around anymore because. You know, Booker T had kind of gone solo, and Stevie Ray was in the NWO, so Harlem Heat wasn't really a factor. You know, a bunch of their top teams that had been around before that just, you know, kind of fizzled away. And we're talk- like you said, this, just talking about late-stage WCW, just, there just wasn't really the talent there to, for them to have impressive defenses. But, you know, is what it is, and, you know, it's just – they're an impressive team. The the amount of days that they held the belt, you know, the six reigns, like you said, over 400 days with the belt, that speaks for itself, you know. So I totally agree with you. Them being at number seven on our list seems perfect. So there you go. Uh, yeah, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, the Outsiders coming in at number seven on our list with nine points. All right, let's move to number six on our list. Number six on our list, 
comes in with a grand total of 14 points. They got those points from being number five on my personal list. And Bob and Adam both had them at number seven on their personal lists. It's the team of Ron Simmons and Hacksaw Butch Reed, of course, with Teddy Long in their corner. Doom coming in at number six on our list. All right. Well, Doom, you know, Doom had the distinction of being the first team to hold the NWA slash WCW belt. Um when uh you know after after that period of time where um you know WCW became recognized as its own uh thing that you know Doom came in and they they got their belts there in May of 1990 at Capital Combat they ended up beating uh the Steiner brothers uh the title was renamed the WCW World Tag Team Championship during this reign uh, that was due to WCW breaking ties with the NWA. Um, yeah, so Doom comes in. That reign that they had uh, was 281 days. They uh, won it in May of 1990, and they held it until February of 1991, where they dropped it to the fabulous Freebirds, the team of Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. They dropped, they did that uh, in February 91 at Russell war. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's an impressive, impressive uh, run there. That one rain, 281 days. I just remember watching doom back in the day and just seeing these two just jack dudes coming in and they honestly they were probably the most intimidating team Mm -hmm. i can remember seeing back in their heyday um and that includes wwf in the on you know in that they were to me doom in that early in their early 90s heyday were the most intimidating team in all of pro wrestling and that includes the the road warriors um ron simmons and butch reed were two guys that you did not want to fuck with Uh and you know, the, the matches they had were brutal. You know, just two power guys on the same team. You know, like we said with the WWF teams, usually had, a, you know, a, a quicker guy teamed with a, with a muscle guy, you know, to kind of counteract each other. But that wasn't the case with Doom. Doom had two guys who could kick your ass. And, yeah, that's exactly what they did for 281 days during that reign. So, yeah, one of my favorite teams of all time, definitely, and I, I'm glad that they made it all the way up to number six on our list. Uh, Bob, what do you have to say about Doom? Yeah, I was a huge fan of Doom, and uh, again, I'm glad we get to talk about him because I don't, I feel like we haven't really talked about him much in all these episodes we've been doing. Um, the the 282 day reign that they had, longest uh, reign out of all holders of this entire belt, um, and. Uh, yeah, the single reign, yeah. Single reign, longest single reign, 282 days. Uh, like you said, they, they came out with Woman at a Halloween Havoc, and then um, they got this monster push. They were destroying everybody, but then they started getting a little bit of losing streak, and then that's when uh, they, they came in. They were masked at first. Remember, they were wearing masks. We weren't supposed to know who they were, but yet everyone knew <laughs> that the only two yeah. Americans on the roster were Hexa Bushreed. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron Simmons. Um, so they came in masked, and then uh, they unmask when they lose at Clash of the Champions. And then that's when Teddy Long comes along. When Teddy Long comes, he, he just took them uh, to the glory days, and they won the, the belt, like you said, against the Steiners in May of 90. Um, 282 days, 
and six total defenses. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's the kind of bad thing about it. Yeah. Uh, Brian Pillman and the Z-Man, Tom Zink, the Steiners, the Rock and Roll Express, the Four Horsemen, Sting and Luger. And then, like you said, they lose to the Freebirds at WrestleWar, um, which led to uh, the team being broken up. Hacksaw attacks Ron Simmons, and Simmons goes solo, eventually wins the uh, the World Heavyweight Belt. But um, it's, it's just a damn shame that they, they broke them apart. They could have done so much more with this team. Uh, I felt, you know, you had the Legion of Doom or the Road Warriors. You had the Rock and Roll Express. You had the Midnight Express, the Steiners, you know, who at that time were an up-and-coming, you know, younger team compared to the ones I just mentioned. But the Doom and the Steiners could have just, you know, taken on the torch from the other teams I mentioned and just continued to carry it on. But unfortunately, they broke them apart. So um, glad we get to talk, them, talk about Doom. I love Doom. Yeah, I love them too, man. They're, the the run was brief, but it was memorable, man. So there we go. Yeah, with 14 points, just out of the top five at number six, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, the team of doom. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. All right. Well, we're in the top five now, and the team we have at number five comes in with 16 points. They got those points. They were num- by being number seven on my personal list. And again, in a great minds think alike uh, instance, Bob and Adam both had them at number five on their personal lists. We're talking about the team of Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood coming in at number five, like I said, with 16 points. Uh, Bob, I'll have you start. What do you have to say about the team of Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood? So... I, I've always liked them. I remember watching them when I was younger and, uh, you know, watching the other videos on them. And, and when you talk to a lot of people that follow tag team wrestling, a lot of people don't know about Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. So when you actually do the research on them, you'll find out that these were probably one of the most underrated tag teams in the history of, of mid-Atlantic wrestling. Um, yeah. Five belts, 347 days. These guys dominated tag team wrestling from the 1979 to 1983. Um, they were the gold standard of what a babyface tag team should be, especially you, you already know that with Ricky Steamboat, but Jay Youngblood was right up there on his level. Um, you know, like when you would hear other people talk about them, like wrestling journalists in the past, they would describe these guys as like poetry in motion when they would just see these guys wrestle together. Because like we said, Steamboat was just a perfectionist to begin with. But if you had Youngblood who was right there, like a 1B to a Steamboat's 1A, and you put these guys in a team together, it's just, wow, super impressive. Uh, October 79, they win the first belt. Paul Jones and Baron Von Roschke, they beat them. 157 days they hold the belt for. Um, they defend the belt 31 times uh, against um, Roski and Jones, and then uh, Ray Stevens and Greg the Hammer Valentine, and then they lose to um, Valentine and, and, and Ray Stevens in March of 80. So then May of 80, they win their second belt. This one they only hold for 43 days. They they beat Stevens and Valentine. Here they defend it three times. Um and then eventually lose to uh, Ray Stevens, but this time he replaces Valentine with Jimmy Snuka. March of 83, they hold the belt for 98 days. They beat Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cornoodle um, at NWA's final conflict. Here they defend the belt 24 times. This is when they start getting into the big feud with the, the Briscoe brothers, Jack and Jerry, um, who at that time were friends with them. They were faces as well, and then they turn on them. So the Briscoes do the, the dastardly heel turn, 
and um, end up beating them for the belts. So then October of 83, they win the fourth belt versus the Briscoes. They only hold this one for 18 days. And then they win their final belt, November of 83, versus the Briscoes at Starcade of 1983. And they hold the belt for 31 days. This one, they defended uh, eight times, six of them versus the Briscoes, two versus Bob Orton and Valentine. And then all of a sudden, Ricky Steamboat decides he wants to spend more time with his family because uh, his children were growing up and he, he missed his family. So he just retires from wrestling in 1983 at that time. Um the retirement, obviously, as we know, Steamboat's career, you know, it, it didn't last long. He came back shortly after. But uh, unfortunately for Youngblood, even though he was just as talented as Ricky Steamboat, he had his vices as well. And uh, he ended up dying in 1985 due to uh, a hemorrhage in his pancreas, which called sepsis in his body, which caused a heart attack. And he ended up passing away, uh, which was a damn tragedy because he was so young. Um, but they never, obviously, with his death, they never teamed up ever again. But um this team, when they were together, so much fun to watch. Just a lot. When it comes to technical wrestling as a tag team, you know, what probably what the gold standard was at that time. So huge props to Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood coming in where they're at. Yeah, most definitely. Like um, like I said, like you said, uh, they're one of the most underrated tag teams of all time. And I, I definitely agree with that. I didn't know anything about uh, Steamboat and Youngblood until I saw the um, – the documentary that the WWE did on Steamboat um, that kind of, you know, chronicles his entire career. And, you know, I know a lot of the reason why I didn't know about them, like you said, their their heyday was from 79 to 83. You know, I would have been too young at that point. You know, I was only three years old when, um, when the team broke up. But, you know, looking back on it and going looking at that documentary and just seeing, you know, the the chemistry and the, just like the they were over as hell like you said they were the top babyface tag team of that era and you know you had two great looking guys white me babyfaces the both of them could do anything in the ring um yeah it, it it was no wonder that they were such a great tag team and you know like i said ricky steamboat ricky steamboat would go on to have you know, really great success as a solo wrestler, as a singles guy. You know, unfortunately, like you said, Jay Youngbud died very young, um, you know, and just didn't have the same future that, that Ricky did. And I and you could tell watching that documentary that the death of Jay Youngbud still kind of has mm-hmm. a, an effect on, on Steamboat to this day. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, that team is, especially when you go back and look at, all the things they did when they had those belts definitely um, earns their right to be in the top five and maybe get a little bit of extra mustard on there because, like you said, they're they're a very underrated team. Uh-huh. You know, not a lot of people remember or know their greatness. So, yeah, I totally agree with their placing here. And at number five, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood coming in with 16 points. All right. Well, let's go to number four on our list. Number four comes in with 21 points, and they got those 21 points because they were the unanimous number four pick on all three of our lists. Me, Bob, and Adam had this particular team number four on each of our individual lists. We are talking about the team of 
Ricky Morton, and Robert Gibson. The Rock and Roll Express coming in at number four with 21 points. Um, yeah, the Rock and Roll Express, you know, legends. You know, they were what you can make the argument that they were the top tag team of the 80s. Um, you know, you definitely make a, a case for them being the most over tag team of the 80s. These guys were, you know, they were so influential and so over as a team. You know, you hear the term playing Ricky Morton. Uh, the, the whole playing Ricky Morton term comes from, uh, you know, Ricky Morton would be the guy who would, uh, you know, be the workhorse. He'd, he'd, you know, he'd get in the ring first. He'd spend the most time in the ring for his team. End up, you know, he'd start out hot, but then end up, you know, due to some hijinks from the from the heel team, he'd end up uh, getting his ass kicked for a good sh- portion of the match until somehow he uh, he powered out of it and ended up tagging uh robert gibson for the for the hot tag and you know gibson would end up cleaning house and eventually the rock and roll express would win the match they had a formula to it man that's that whole playing rock the whole playing ricky morton thing you know is a wrestling term to this day um the, the rock and roll express uh they started they got their first run with the belt Back in July of 1985, uh, they beat the Russians for that belt. Uh, that iteration of the Russians being Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev. Um, and they held the belt for 96 days before dropping it in October of 85 back to the Russian team. Uh, this time it was uh, Ivan and Nikita Koloff they lost to. Uh, then they had their second run. Uh, just 46 days later, in November of 1985, beating the Russians again. Uh, then they lost the belt 66 days later, in February of 86, to the Midnight Express, who, you know, Midnights would probably end up being their biggest rivals throughout their entire career. Um, let's see. Then they ended up winning the belt back from the Midnights in August of 86, uh, let's see, before losing, and they held the belt there, and that reigned for 112 days before losing the belt to the team of Manny Fernandez and Rick Rude in December of 86. Uh, then they, 171 days later, in May of 87, they would get their fourth run with the belt. Um, it was uh, awarded in a phantom match, it says here. Uh, they were said to have defeated Manny Fernandez and Ivan Koloff, uh, who was substituting for Rick Rude because by that point, Rick Rude had left for the WWF. Um, so, yeah, they, they get that fourth run with the belt starting in May of 87, and they held the belt for 126 days before losing it to uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard in September of 87. Um, and uh, let's see, did they have it after that, or is that it? I believe no, that's they, it. That, that was the last one. That was the last one. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the Rock and Roll Express, like I said, in that period from um, from 85 to uh, 87, there was not a hotter tag team in in professional wrestling, I think. they Those guys were, were just red hot. And, yeah, four runs with the belt. Um Ultimately, they uh, they held the belt for a total of let me see here, uh, four hundred days. 
Yeah, four runs with the belt, 400 days total. Yeah, I mean, I I, I love the Rock and Roll Express. They were never really my my favorite team of all time, but I could totally tell, you know, why they would uh, have such great runs with the belts, especially with how over they were with the crowd. Uh Uh, Bob, what do you have to say about uh, the Rock and Roll Express? Well, you said a lot of it, which, uh, you know, I'm – you 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 hit it right on the button when you when you talked about them. I like how the story of how they were created in, in 1983. Um, the big fan favorites at that time were the fabulous ones, which were Stan Lane and uh, Steve Kern, who we know as Skinner. Um, so obviously they would travel and they'd go out of town. And Jerry Lawler was looking for another team just to kind of replace them uh, when they would be out of town wrestling other another at other places and territories. And uh, he just put these two dudes together, and the Rock and Roll Express just took off. Um, you know, the, these high flyers that love glam, glam metal music that was super popular at that time. And they became one of the greatest tag teams ever. Like you mentioned, uh, I love the way they worked a crowd. Like you said, the, uh, the hot tag and, and, you know, how they, they always made it seem like they're about to lose the belts and then come back out of nowhere and win, win the titles or uh, keep the titles. And, um, you know, they, when they ended up leaving, they would go to the AWA, they'd win the belts there. They would return to the NWA, um, they would never win these belts again, but then they would travel the Smoky Mountain to the USWA, the WCW, WWF, and, and they would just win belts everywhere they would go. You know, they were pretty much belt collectors. But um, at that time, like you said, one of the most over tag teams of all time and um, definitely deserving of the, uh, the number four on the list. Yeah, most definitely. So, yeah, there we go. Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton, the Rock and Roll Express, coming in at number four on our list. With 21 points overall. All right. We're in the top three now. And we start off our top three at number three with a team that comes in with 25 points. And they got those 25 points from being number three on Bob's personal list. They were also number three on Adam's personal list. And I had them at number two on my personal list. We are talking about the inaugural holders of this particular lineage of lineage of the belt. We're talking about the Andersons, Gene and Ole Anderson, better known as the Minnesota wrecking crew. They come in at number three with 25 points. Um, Yeah. The Minnesota wrecking crew, man, they were, they collectively held the belt here more than any team on the list bar none. Uh, they had seven overall reigns with the belt. Um, the exact length they said of the reigns is uncertain, but the list, the number I see combined that they had the that they had with the belts was nine hundred and ninety-two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's Jesus. Seven runs with the belt for almost a thousand days. That is insane. So yeah. Gene and Ole Anderson, you know, as we, I, I don't know much about Gene Anderson, but I, as you know, Ole, original member of the Four Horsemen, known as one of the uh, most cantankerous and grumpy men in professional <laughs> wrestling history. Um, yeah, but you know, great worker though. Part of part of this tag team, man, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Like I said, they were the inaugural uh, holders of the NWA uh, Mid Atlantic tag team championships here they won it at a house show in uh january of 1975 and that first reign lasted 106 days 
before they dropped the belts to Paul Jones and Wahoo McDaniel in May of 75. And then they had they beat Jones and McDaniel again in June of 75. And they held they held the belt for 230 days uh, in that next run before they dropped the belts to the team of Rufus R. Jones and Wahoo McDaniel in January of 76. But don't worry, because they won the belt just a week later in February of 76. And that third run lasted 92 days uh, before they dropped the belt to Dino Bravo and Mr. Wrestling in May of 76. Again, transition champs for that for that belt because the Minnesota Wrecking Crew would end up winning it again just 54 days later in June of 76. Um, and they would hold it in that fourth reign for another 181 days before dropping it to the team of Ric Flair and Greg the Hammer Valentine in December of 76 before winning it again in May of 80, in May of 90, uh, May of 1977 uh, from Flair and Valentine. And they held that belt that fifth time for another 138 days before dropping it to uh, Dusty Rhodes and Dick Slater in September of 77. But that run with uh, Slater and Rhodes would only last three weeks before they would uh, win the belts again. This time in October 77, that sixth reign would last just 16 days uh, before they dropped it in October of 77 again to Ric Flair and Greg Valentine. Um, and they would not, they would go a long time without winning it all the way up until May of 1981, uh, where they would beat the, uh, the team of Paul Jones and the mass superstar and that seventh reign, that seventh reign that they had would go from May of 81 all the way to January of 82, 267 days. Um, but then Gene got legitimately hurt. And as a result, the NWA forced the team to relinquish the title. Jim Crockett promotions announced that the tournament would be held to crown the new champion, which, and that tournament was ultimately won by Ole Anderson and Stan Hansen. Um, but yeah, I think, after that, that was that was it for the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, man. That was seven runs with the belt, like I said, nine, over, almost a thousand days combined. You know, from the from the mid to late seventies, there that that back half of the seventies, they were probably the team in the NWA Mid Atlantic Territory. There, there, there's just no, there's no way around it. They dominated that division. You know, they would lose the belt to a team. That team would maybe hold it for a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months. But then they get the they get the belts right back. You know, they were the mainstays. They were the they were the team that, you know, the the promotion put the belts on and trusted to uh, to bolster a division. And yeah, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, man, they were a great team. And ultimately, coming in in our top three with twenty five points. Uh, Bob, what do you have to say about the team of Gene and Oli, the Anderson guys? The, uh, the well, they they sold them as brothers. They weren't really brothers, but weren't were they were they brothers, Gene and Oli, or no? No, no, they weren't. No, okay, because I know they tried they tried to sell Arn as a as a member of the Anderson family, and he has nothing to do with the Anderson family. Right. But, um, but yeah, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Uh, you know what do you, what do you got to say about the the Minnesota Wrecking Crew? 
Originally, they were created in 1966, and it was Gene and Lars Anderson. And uh, and that was the original team. Lars leaves in 1969, so then that's when Ole comes about. And like you said, um, they got together in the 70s, and from 1975 to 77, the belts ran through that team. Um, like you said, there was a few transitional champs here and there, but if you look at any uh, most of the time from 75 to 77, those belts were on the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Um, like you said, eventually he got hurt, and um, – Gene became a manager, and then that's when they replaced him with Arn Anderson. Um, but then Arn and Ole end up being a part of the uh, inaugural Four Horsemen, and then they break up in '87 when Ole gets kicked out of the Horsemen. Um, but like you said, you know, seven reigns, two of them over 200. Uh, one of them was 230 days. One of them was 267 days. Um, just domination of the tag team scene. And, and that's just why we have them so high up on the list. They deserve to be there. Um, a lot of the teams that they went up against, you know, I think we talked about this last week when we talked about the wild Samoans, you know, they're just teams that they kind of just threw together just to have uh, opponents for these guys, you know, uh, Dino Bravo and Mr. Wrestling, um, Dusty Rhodes and Dick Slater, you know, Paul Jones and the mass superstar, Paul Jones and Andre the giant, you know, they were just people that were just put together to try and, come up as competition for them. But, you know, there, there was no other team like the Minnesota Wrecking Crew at that time. They just dominated rest, tag team wrestling in that uh, during that era. Yeah, most definitely. And, yeah, definitely earned their spot here on our list. Number three overall, the team of Gene and Ole Anderson, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, coming in with 25 points. All right, let's move to number two on our list, the penultimate pick here. Number two on our list comes just above the Minnesota Wrecking Crew with 26 points. They got those 26 points by being number three on my overall list. Bob and Adam and a great minds think alike again coming in. They both had this team at number two on their personal lists. We're talking about the team of Rick and Scott, the Steiner brothers coming in at number two with 26 points. Uh, Bob, we'll have you start out. Talk to us about the Steiner brothers. I was a big fan of the Steiner brothers. You know, you had uh, Rick and Scott, one of the greatest tag teams in the history of professional wrestling. Um, WCW brings them over in 1989. Um, Scott was the bigger powerhouse guy. Uh, Rick was a smaller guy, but it, it was just technique, power, speed, and agility that they put together. Uh, Scott was for a bigger guy. He was just so innovative and he could just so agile with the way that he moved. It was just like, you didn't, you didn't see that from a bigger, uh, a bigger wrestler at that time. Um, so they originally, they bring him in and Missy Hyatt is their manager. Um, and they're brought in as just this unstoppable force dominating everybody. Um, you know, then they have a uh, woman. She, uh, that's how they made her debut. They had her in their, uh, the corner of uh, the Steiner brothers as well. She's there with them while they feud with the Freebirds, and then she ends up turning on them. Um, and then that's when she introduces Doom to us, but uh, that's who the Steiners were feuding with at first. And then November of 89 is when they win their first belt. Uh, 199 days that they hold it for, they win the, they beat the Freebirds. Um, they hold, they defend the belt nine times. Uh, one of them was against, three, three of them were against Doom, but one of them was when they had the, uh, where they unmasked. Um, four times against Arn and only Anderson. And then, you know, they lose to Doom at Capital Combat. Uh, they win their second belt, February 91 against the Freebirds. 
that one they hold the belt for 152 days. Uh, that one, at that time, it was pretty impressive because during that time, they also won the WCW US Tag Belts, which I mentioned earlier on in the show. And they also won the IWGP Tag Belts from Japan at that time. So they had three belts at the time um, you know, that they were defending, and, and it was pretty impressive, especially when you would see that from that tag team. Uh, there they defended it against Luger and Sting, um, and they had to vacate the titles because Scott hurt himself. He hurt his bicep. Uh, May of 92, they win their third belt. They hold this one for 63 days. They beat Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson. Um, they defended three times against Ricky Morton and Tracy Smothers, Steve Williams, and Terry Gordy. And then they end up losing the belt to Williams and Gordy in July of 92. They, uh, they leave WC, WCW, they join the WWF, they win the belts over there, then they go to ECW for a short time, they come back to WCW in 1996. When they're back in 96, July 96, they beat Harlem Heat for their fourth belt, but they lose it back to Harlem Heat three days later, so that reign only lasted three days. The the fifth belt, they won January of 97 against the Outsiders. It sold out. We talked about that earlier. Uh, they only held the belts for two days on that one because Bischoff was running things and he stripped the Steiners of the title. And then they win the sixth belt versus the Outsiders, October of 97. There they defended seven times, hold it for 91 days. Uh, the talent that they had defended against was uh, three times they defended against the public enemy, uh, once against Dave Taylor and William Regal, and then once against Buff Bagwell and Conan before they lose to the Outsiders on Nitro. And then their final defense, or the final win was February 98. They beat the Outsiders for their seventh title. They defended one time against Vicious and Delicious. If you remember, that was Scott Norton and Buff Bagwell. Uh, that ran only lasted two weeks because they lost to the Outsiders at Super Brawl. That's when uh, Scott turns on Rick, joins the NWO, um, the team gets separated, and they never win the belt again. But um, they were the face of WCW tag teams, one of the faces, uh, easily in the top three. Um, you know, they, they obviously we talked about how they transitioned to the WWF, but they were mas- mostly, you know, WCW known for their time there. So to have them number two on the list is definitely a, a great representation of the Steiners. Um, they could go either way, one, two, three. You could have them in either position and, and, and still be content where you have them. So uh, glad to talk about the Steiners at number two. Yeah, me too. I mean, like you said, they were uh totally, you know, unique team. And the fact that there was two guys, you know, two well-built guys, but one of them was just pulling off moves that you had never seen, you know, a guy built like that do. I, I remember the first time I ever saw a Hernican Rana uh-huh. was the Frankensteiner, you know, Scott Steiner doing what they called the Frankensteiner, which was a Hurricane Rana. First time I ever saw that. And I remember um, when Scott Steiner did that, that move um, where he puts a guy up in a, uh, in a suplex position and then comes down into like a sitting pile driver. Uh-huh. Man, I saw that move. I was like, oh my God, these guys are insane. And, <laughs> you know, the stories back it up, they were insane. But, you know, the Steiner brothers just, you know, of course them being brothers helped, but just the chemistry they had as a team, um, you know, so over with the fans. Like you said, seven runs with the belt. Um, you know, they had the highest uh, commemorative uh, or combined, uh, the second highest uh, combined uh, reigns 
just behind the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Um, it, yeah, the Steiner Brothers, it's, it goes without saying. You know, you think of tag team wrestling, especially in WCW, um, in that late 80s, you know, into the early to mid-90s period. You can't think of tag team wrestling in WCW without thinking of the Steiner Brothers. They were a cornerstone of that promotion. So, yeah, I'm happy that they're at where they're at, too. Number two on our list with 26 points, the Steiner Brothers. All right. Well, it's time for number one on our list. But before we get to number one, uh, like we do every week, we have our honorable mentions. Uh, These are five of the teams that didn't get enough points to make the top ten, but they did get enough points to at least garner us some mention here. We'll start with what would be um, number 11 on our list, our first honorable mention here. Uh, This team came in with three points, and they got those three points by being number eight overall on Adam's personal list. It's the team of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Greg the Hammer Valentine. And they come in at number 11 on our list. Um, like I said, with three points, uh, I kind of had to do some re I have to look this up a little bit because like I said, they weren't on my list. Uh, they got these points from being on Adam's list. Um, it looks like Greg Valentine and Ric Flair, uh, they had one run with the belt, uh, for a total of 133 days. They were one of those transition champs. Uh, in the heyday of the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Um, they ended up beating uh, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew in December of 76, held the belts for 133 days, and then uh, ended up dropping the belt back to the Wrecking Crew in May of 77. Um, by that point, of course, Ric Flair was uh, making his inroads as the top guy in Mid-Atlantic. You know, he would go on to have his runs with the United States Championship, which at that time was the top individual belt in the in the territory, uh, aside from the NWA Heavyweight Championship. And it wouldn't be long before uh, Flair would be the top guy in the NWA altogether. Um, and then, like you said, Greg Valentine, like we talked about last week, would go on to be a figure in and a fixture in the in the division for the U.S. championship belt. Um, but for this particular tag team, I mean, it's a cool tag team. Two of my favorite wrestlers of all time in one team. But like I said, one run, 133 days. I mean, they, you know, I could see where Adam would put that just based on, I guess, the, the length of the run. But I, I don't know. I wouldn't put them anywhere near the top ten. But... That's why there's an honorable mention section, and that's why they're they are where they're at. Um, Bob, you have anything to say about the team of Flair and Valentine? So we we, we might have to edit it out. Um, they they actually had two two reigns. Um, Flair and Valentine. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, they had two reigns. Now we'll leave that in. I, if I fucked up, I fucked up. They had two. They had two reigns uh, for 264 days that they were champs. Um, both of them, they beat the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. First one, they held the belt for 133 days in December of 76. Uh, they lost the belts to the Wrecking Crew, and then they won the belts again uh, October of 77, held the belt for 131 days. Uh, it was funny because when they were champs, 
they actually uh, had to vacate the belt because Flair and Valentine uh, would continually end their matches via disqualification. They'd purposely get themselves disqualified so they couldn't lose the belts, and they ended up getting stripped because of that. Um, I had never heard of that, but but I thought that that was kind of fun. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, they had two reigns, so I could see where Adam put them up on there. Yeah, my fault. I I, I totally didn't see the the second reign there, but yeah. No, All right, two two. Two reigns for over 200 days. Okay. That makes a little bit more sense to me. So, yeah. But, like I said, still honorable mention territory for me. And that's exactly where they're at. At number 11 on our list. Coming in with three points, the team of Ric Flair and Greg Valentine. All right. Let's move to number 12 on our list. Uh, They were coming in with two points. Uh... They came. They got the two points. They were number 10 on my personal list. Bob and Adam both had them as honorable mentions. It's the team of Jerry and Jack Briscoe coming in at number 12, our second honorable mention, with two points. Uh, Bob, I'll start with you. What do you have to say about the Briscoe brothers, Jerry and Jack? So, legit brothers, three reigns, 172 days that they held the belt. They were a highly successful tag team. Um, you know, just in general, I know they won over 20 total titles, uh, in their history of a tag team together, um, 20 titles in the 13 years that they teamed together. But, uh, in 1983, I mentioned earlier when, uh, they were babyface tag team as well. They turn on, uh, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Um, so they hold the belt for 107 days, uh, 26 times they defend it against Steamboat and Youngblood, um, Steamboat and Ric Flair, Steamboat and Piper, Steamboat and Wahoo. I guess Steamboat really wanted these belts, so he would find a partner every week. Um, and then their second time that they won the belts, October of 83, again, they beat Steamboat and Youngblood um, before they lost to him at Starcade of 83. And then they win their their final belts, April of 84, um, 31 days they hold it for, against Mark Youngblood and Wahoo McDaniel. Um, they went on the losing to them in May of 85 and then they, they leave for the WWF soon after, and then they return shortly after that, but they never won the titles because, um, they kind of went their own separate ways. Uh, Jack was pretty much known for his, um, his successful singles career. Um, Gerald ended up going up to, uh, the WWF became well known for one of, uh, Vince McMahon's stooges as they would call them. But, uh, when they were together, they, uh, you know, going up against Steamboat and Youngblood, you know, classic matches that they had together. And I, I talked about them earlier. So uh, good to mention them in the honorable mention section. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think they make a good honorable mention team. Um, yeah. That, I think they deserve to be right where they're at. Jerry and Jake Briscoe coming in with two points, number 12 overall, our second honorable mention. All right. Let's get on to our third honorable mention, number 13 on our list. Uh, This team comes in with one and a half points, and they got those one and a half points by being a unanimous honorable mention on all three of our lists. We're talking about the team of Jerry Sags and Brian Knobs, the Nasty Boys, coming in at number 13, our third honorable mention here. Um, Yeah, Nasty Boys had three runs with the belt. A uh, total of, what, 255 days, I think. Um, yeah, uh, they had their first run with the belt starting at Fall Brawl 93, where uh, they beat 
the team of um, Arn Anderson and Paul Roma. And then they only held that belt, that initial run for four, for 15 days. Uh, they lo- lose the belt in October 93 to the team of Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Two Cold Scorpio. Uh, that was a transition in and of itself because uh, Bagwell and Scorpio would end up losing the belts three weeks later, right back to the Nasty Boys at Halloween Havoc 93 in October of 1993. And that second run they had with the belt uh, would end up being their longest run. They held it for 210 days in that second run from October of 93 all the way up until May of 94 when they dropped the belts to Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan at Slamboree. Um, And then, you know, they ended up getting the belts back uh, in May of 95. Uh, They won the belts from Harlem Heat um, at Slamboree 95. Let's see. And, yeah. There you go. That and they held the belts for thirty-four days before um, dropping the belts back again to Harlem Heat. Uh, there's some explanation here. The title change that aired on tape delay was June twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety-five, uh, on an episode of WCW Worldwide. Um, Harlem Heat were still the champs as Slamboree did not occur until eighteen days later. While the reign of the Nasty Boys technically ended before it began due to the taping schedule, the team's official reign length for that third period was 33 days. So WCW would do crazy shit like that where they would, uh, <laughs> you know, do do title changes on tape delay, right. you know, and they would air the, the actual title change after um, or before, you know, certain pay-per-views or whatever it was it was nutty but you know that that was the the story of the uh the nasty boys the end of their third reign there and that's that's all they had they had that the three reigns with the wcw belt um of course they had they had runs in uh in wwe is or wwf at that point as well um they, they they also they were in ecw as well correct did they have runs in ECW? Nope. Nasty Boys. I don't recall them. No, I, I thought they. I thought they were there for like maybe a cup of coffee. I don't know, but even if they weren't, um, they were still, you know, one of the most known tag teams of that early '90s period. And like I said, they were never really my favorite team. I'm more than okay with them being just an honorable mention. But um, but yeah. Uh, you got to give them their props, man. Three runs with the belt over 200 days total. It's nothing to sneeze at. So there you go. Um, what do you have to say about the Nasty Boys, Bob? Um, just two tough street brawlers that, you know, they, they weren't really known for their technical wrestling skills. They were just brawlers in the ring. Uh, what always interested to me it was their look. You know, they, they, they just had a different appeal to them, like appearance to them. Um, you know, they... I wouldn't say they were overweight, but they were bigger guys, and you know, with, with the mohawks and, and the 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 jackets with the spray paint and the graffiti all over it, and you know the 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 sunglasses, and they just had a cool look to them. You know, the, the sleeveless T-shirts with the Nasty Boys written on it, and uh, the, you know, they they came over to WCW in '90, and then they jumped over to WWF in '91 where they won the belts, but then in the, '93 when they came back. 
Uh, that's when they took off. Like you said, they won the belt three times. Um, two times in 1980, uh, 1993, they won the belts. Um, I like their first one where they, they won it from Anderson and Paul Roma. They defended it one time against Pez Watley and Sam Houston. Um, you know, that was a hell of a match. It had to have been. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the second reign, like you mentioned, 210 days that they held it for. Um, I, I still, to this day, remember sitting in my living room watching that Broad Street Bully match at Slammery 94 with Cactus Jack and Calvin Sullivan and the Nasty Boys. And, uh, you know, just watching them wrestle through the crowd. Dave Schultz was uh, the re- special referee at that time. And um, I- I'm-, I'm glad that we talk about him as an honor mention. You know, they-, they won the belts three times, 259 days. You know, it's, it's a good mention for them. Um, would I call them one of the greatest tag teams in the history of the world? No. Um, like you said, I think you said it perfectly when you said they, they weren't my favorite tag team. Um, but you know, you respected what they did. So good for the nasties. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned their look, you know, I, I remember Brian Nobbs with his blonde mullet there. He always, to me, he looked like a female professional bowler, to be honest with you. It was, you know, he was, he just, he had that look, but he, I don't know, man. There's just something about the team that I just didn't like, but I I could totally see them, you know, being where they're at. I've got I'll, I'll give them the, I'll give them their props. So yeah, Nasty Boys coming in at number thirteen on our list, our third honorable mention overall. Oh, and they, they all right. I don't recall them being ECW. I don't think they ever were. Okay, I, for for some reason I thought that maybe had like a match or two in ECW. Like you had teams here, you know, ECW was famous for having teams come in for like a cup of coffee, you know, a match here and there. I thought they were part of that, but I guess not. That's fine. Whatever. All right, let's move to uh, number 14 on our list. Number 14, our, uh, our fourth honorable mention overall. They also were a, a unanimous honorable mention. Coming in with one and a half points, it's the team of stunning Steve Austin and flying Brian Pillman. The Hollywood Blondes coming in at number 14, our fourth honorable mention. Uh, Bob, we'll have you take it off. Tell us about the team of Pillman and Austin, the Hollywood Blondes. The Hollywood Blondes, like you mentioned, Pillman and Austin, created in 1992. One reign for 169 days. Um, I was kind of thrown off when, when I saw that the nasty boys were above them, but I remember you said your tie breaking system was uh, the number of reigns. So I get it now. Um, yeah, this was a team kind of like when we talked about last week, when, when, when we had the, uh, the road dog and uh, Billy Gunn. you know, management had nothing for these guys. And they said, um, we're just going to throw you guys together and, and see what you can do. And um, Raven came up with the uh, Hollywood blondes gimmick and uh, the name and, and, you know, they got matching gear and, and they just made it work and it worked to perfection. Um, I'll always remember like Stone Cold doing the uh, mocking film real pose that he would do. And uh, they would come to the ring. Uh, March 93, they started feuding with uh, Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas, who at that time were the champs. And they end up dethroning them for their one reign for 169 days. They have it for uh, 13 defenses. Uh, defenses against such illustrious teams as Brad Armstrong and a very young Rob Van Dam, uh, Two Cold Scorpio and Buff Bagwell, Tom Zink and Ricky Steamboat. And then that's when, uh, 
you know, Ric Flair comes back and uh, they're introducing the Four Horsemen again. So they get to feud with the Four Horsemen, which, you know, gives them huge props for them. You know, it puts them in the, the limelight. Um, but then Flair goes on after the championship belt. So it's no longer Flair and Arn Anderson feuding for the title. It's Flair and Paul Roma, uh, who they end up losing the belts to at uh, Clash of the Champions. And then eventually Brian Pillman hurts his ankle. He has to have surgery. And when he comes back, they split up the team. Um, and they make Austin go single. And, and Pillman was still kind of uh, recovering from his injury. But um, that was another one, kind of like I mentioned with Doom. Had had they stayed healthy and had they actually used them the proper way, I think they could have gone a long way with the Hollywood Blondes. Uh, obviously, you know, they gave Stone Cold his own uh, U.S. title reign and stuff like that, which he deserved. He was stunning Steve Austin at that time. I keep calling him Stone Cold. But, um, yeah, good to mention them on the list. You know, they were they were team. I had them number 11. They were right on that cost break in the top 10. But uh, number 14 in the honorable mention is pretty good still. Yeah. Yeah. Always had good chemistry with each other. You know, you can tell that, you know, they, they genuinely liked each other. They had great chemistry. You know, they were awesome heel team. I love you know, them coming to the to the ring, you know, doing the thing with the like the camera roll, like with the old school Hollywood cameras where you had to wind it. You know, the, you know, their their rivalry with the with the horsemen. Uh it's you know they were an awesome heel tag team. And when you're a heel, you know, you really get to let some of your personality shine. Before that, uh, Pillman was, you know, a white meat baby face. He was like one of those guys who would, you know, just get the crowd going, get all the the women and the little kids behind him. But then he goes heel with uh, Austin with the Hollywood Blondes, and you see he's just as suited and talented to be a heel as he is a face. Um, yeah, just a great tag team. I, I have nothing bad to say about them. I know Adam also uh, really loves the Hollywood Blondes. Um, you know, his 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 tag name here on the show kind of modeled after them. But, um, yeah, I, I definitely see where we all came in as uh, giving them honorable mentions on our list. They, they definitely deserve a mention. Uh, if not on the top ten, then definitely in this section. So, yeah. Uh, the team of Steve Austin and Brian Pillman, the Hollywood Blondes, coming in at number 14, our fourth honorable mention with one and a half points. All right. Well, let's get to our last pick here. Um, our last honorable mention, number 15 on our list, comes in with one point, and they got that point by being on the honorable mentions list of both myself and Adam. Uh, we're talking about the team of Sting and Lex Luger coming in at number 15 on our list with one point. Like I said, they were um, honorable mention on both my list and Adam's list. Um, Sting and Lex Luger, I mean, y- you look at them, you know, they're, they're uh, two of the most over guys in the company at that point. They were the, uh, you know, Lex Luger had his time here and there as a heel, but, you know, he's also one of the best faces they had of the era. And Sting, you know, Sting was, was, is, and, you know, aside from Ric Flair, probably always will be the face of WCW um, at that point. So just getting those two together and giving them a run with the belt, 
Um, you know, what could go wrong? Uh, let's see. They had they won the belt. Um, they only had the belt as a team one time, and they won it in January '96. They beat Harlem Heat. Uh, for it on an episode of Nitro in January of 96. And they held the belt for 154 days from January of 96 all the way to June of 96, where they ended up dropping it back to Harlem Heat on another episode of Nitro. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's really nothing of note, I think, to uh, really distinguish them from the tops top picks i mean like i said they're they're our last honorable mention uh but you know that's an impressive run that one that one run for 154 days that's not bad and i think you know it's it's enough to at least warrant uh the last honorable mention that we have so yeah uh bob what do you have to think what do you have to say about the team of uh sting and lex luger they almost made my top 10 um you know when i thought of them i thought of them as like uh WCW's version of the Mega Powers, you know, two of the biggest faces that you had on the company, and you throw them together. I remember uh, they threw them together because for the Crockett uh, Crockett Memorial Cup tag team, um, you know, Luger needed a partner because Wyndham turned on him, and uh, that's when they brought in Sting. And you know, they would have them team together and and you know go up against some of the biggest uh, teams out there. And you know, you mentioned that they won the title. Uh, they, they both had super successful solo careers, you know, Sting and Lex Luger as champs. So we mentioned, uh, Sting as heavyweight Luger as us champ, you know, and then eventually they end up breaking them apart. Uh, they were the main foil for the NWO. They were in that match when, uh, Hogan came out and turned heel against the outsiders. But, um, you, you know, Luger thinks that Sting joins the NWO. That's when it ends up breaking them apart. Uh, but they were they were a good team together. Um, I focused more of them on, the, like I said, their singles career, so that's why I, I kind of didn't put them into my top ten. But they were right on that cusp, that border of uh, a good team together that should have been in the top ten. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Sting and Lex Luger coming in at number 15, our last honorable mention with one point. All right, well, that brings us to our top pick overall, and – like I said, this has happened uh, a couple of times here in our championship series where we have a unanimous number one pick. Uh, it happens again this week for our W for our WCW slash NWA tag team champs of all time. Uh, yeah, a unanimous number one pick. They were number one on all three of our lists, giving them a perfect score of 30 points. Of course, I'm talking about the team of Booker T and Stevie Ray. Harlem Heat is our number one. WCW NWA tag team champion of all time. Uh, Bob, we'll start with you. What do you have to say about the team of Harlem Heat? The ten time, ten time, ten time. I'm, I'm not gonna ten times, four hundred and seventy days uh, <laughs> that they held the belt for. Uh, again, it, it's either them or the Steiners, in my opinion. You know, they, they're interchangeable. But um, Harlem Heat with ten reigns, uh, amazing. Um, they, they started off at Global Wrestling Federation. Then they signed with WCW 93 as Cole and Kane, um, Harlem Heat. They were managed by uh, Colonel Robert Parker. And um, they uh, and eventually ended up booting him. And that's when they took on uh, Sister Sherry, Sherry Martell. Uh, then they changed their names to Booker T and Stevie Ray. And for that point on, after that, the rest is history. 
Uh, first reign, 164 days. They beat Stars and Stripes, which was Buff Bagwell and Adam's boy, the Patriot. You know, they're defending against Stars and Stripes, the Nasty Boys, Savage and Sting, uh, Pillman and Johnny B. Bad. And then they lose to the Nasty Boys at Slamboree in 95. Um, second reign is only 28 days. May of 95, they beat the Nasty Boys. But then um, they lose the belt to Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. Their third reign, September 95, they win it back versus Buck and Slater at Fall Brawl, but they only hold it for one day as they lose to the American Males um, the next night. On American Males. Waiting for American Males. So waiting for that. Uh, <laughs> the fourth reign was 117 days, September of 95. Uh, they win the belt back on WCW Saturday night versus the Males. Uh, seven times they defended against the Blue Bloods, um, the American Males, Lex Luger and Sting, uh, Brian Pillman and Chris Benoit, and then they lose to Luger and Sting on Nitro, like you just mentioned. Their fifth belt, 30 days they hold it for. They win the belts back from Sting and Luger. They defend it against the Steiners, Public Enemy, and then they lose it to the Steiners. Uh, July 96, they win the belts back from the Steiners. 58 days they hold it for. Uh, that one they actually defended against the Rock and Roll Express, the Steiners, Luger and Sting, American Males, Public Enemy, the Nasty Boys, and they lose to Public Enemy. They're the one teams that lost to Public Enemy on Nitro. Um, seventh Reign, WCW Saturday Night, they get their belt back from Public Enemy, and then this is when they end up losing it to uh, the Outsiders at Halloween Havoc. Uh, Stevie Ray ends up having ankle surgery, um, and then when he comes back, he joins the NWO. Uh, Booker T does a solo run, so then they end up reuniting in 99, three years later. Um, at Road Wild, they win their eighth belt, hold it for nine days. They beat uh, the Jersey Triad, which was Bam Bam Bigelow, Canyon, and DDP. Um, that one, they do two amazing defenses against Horace Hogan and Scott Norton and Barry Darso and Bobby Eaton. Um, they lose the belts to the West Texas Rednecks. September of 99, they win their ninth belt. A fall brawl versus the West Texas Rednecks. Like, <laughs> that's the championship match for the tag team belts at fall brawl, which is one of your main pay per views. <laughs> Harlem Heat and the West Texas. Okay. Uh, sorry. And then, and then the, the funny thing is they defend it against Los Vianos, <laughs> which I thought was, I had to laugh when I said that. Oh, my that. God. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, they end the Blues in the belt to Conan and Rey Mysterio on Nitro. And then their 10th belt, they only hold it for one day because what happens is uh, the, the belt gets vacated after Halloween Havoc. Um, so they have a, a triple threat. Harlem Heat, uh, Mysterio ended up getting hurt, so they had to vacate the belts. So Harlem Heat takes on Conan and Billy Kidman and then Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris. Uh, Nobbs had stayed on there because uh, Jerry Sags was fired for attacking uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, <laughs> uh, which was a good story. But um, so Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris and then Harlem Heat wins the belt for the last time. They only hold it for a day soon after they're broken up again. And Booker goes on the rest of his solo career where he becomes champion, and never looks back. But um, dominating, dominating tag team. Uh, it sucks that a lot of their, you know, defenses were reigns one day, nine days, 30 days. Um, one day again, but uh, overall, just when you think of WCW tag teams, like I said, you either think of the Steiners or you think of Harlem Heat. So um, one of the gold standards of tag team wrestling when it came to WCW. So good to talk to them as, as number one. 
Yeah. Well-deserved number one, I believe. Yeah. Ten reigns. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, watching them on ESPN when they were in world class is the Ebony experience. Remember that? Um, yeah, it was – they were just – a great tag team, you know, brothers again, you know, brothers make really good tag teams. Um, and, you know, it just built in chemistry there. And they were just, you know, a dominating force, especially there in the 90s in WCW. Um, you know, they were just u- ubiquitous with that tag team division, it's, you know, especially in that 90s period, like I said, before the NWO became a thing. Because once the NWO came in, you know, Stevie Ray became a member, you know, Booker T didn't join in. He would end up going and starting getting some singles success after that. And that that pretty much uh, spelled an end for Harlem Heat as a team. But when they were together, man, they were they were just dominant. They were they were just a great team, you know, and I definitely like I said, you know, they were unanimous number one. All three of them, all three of us think that they deserve to uh, to be at the top of the heap. And, you know, we're not ones that disagree with ourselves. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, number one on our list with a perfect score of 30 points because they were a unanimous number one. The team of Stevie Ray and Booker T, Harlem Heat. All right. Well, there you go. That's our list of our the Enhancement Talents Top 10 NWA slash WCW World Tag Team Champs of all time. Uh, let's go through the list one more time. Uh, we'll start at number 10 and work our way towards number one. At number 10 with three points, we have the Road Warriors. And number nine with nine points is the Midnight Express. At number eight, also with nine points, but benefiting from a tiebreaker, we have the team of Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. At number seven, also with nine points and also benefiting from a tiebreaker, uh, we have the team of Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, the Outsiders. At number six, with 14 points, the team of Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, Doom, coming in at number six with 14 points. At number five, with 16 points, is the team of Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. At number four, with 21 points, it's Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton, the Rock and Roll Express, coming in at number 21, or at number four with 21 points, my bad. At number three, with 25 points, it's Gene and Ole Anderson, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Again, number three with 25 points. At number two, coming in with 26 points, is Rick and Scott, the Steiner Brothers. And at number one, like we just said, Stevie Ray, Booker T, a unanimous 30 points going to the team of Harlem Heat, our number one pick. So there you go. Our enhancement talent list of the top 10 NWA slash WCW tag team champs of all time, which closes out our champion series here on the show. Uh, Bob, what do you, do you have? You agree with the list? Do you think it's a fair representation? And also, uh, what are your feelings about our champion series overall that we did here? The champion series overall was a lot of fun. Um, you know, doing the research on a lot of these teams was very interesting. 
Um, obviously, we know the WWF really well, but when it came to doing the research on the NWA, WCW, that was a lot of fun. We got to talk about a lot of teams um, that you know we haven't mentioned before on any of these shows. So this is a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed the uh, the series altogether. Um, when it came down to the list, I thought the list was a great representation. Um, I thought Adam was going to surprise me with uh, some chronic, maybe in the honorable mention, kind of like he did with chronic, chronic, chronic. With you know, I thought he was going to do like a, a Kendrick in London again on me. But uh, overall, I, <laughs> I think it was a really good, uh, a really good list. So uh, fun, fun, fun episode this time. Yeah, really fun episode. Like I said, you and Adam were kind of in lockstep there for the majority of your list. You had you had number one, two, three, four, five, and seven. All you and Adam agreed on all those numbers in your list. That that's that's unheard of. Good time. Great minds think alike ultra on this list. So <laughs> There, he, there you go. He made up for last week's uh, Hardy's edging. edging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love you, Adam. Yeah, we love you, Adam. Can't wait to hear from you, hopefully, on our next show here. All right. Well, that wraps up this show. But before we go, like we do every week, let's have our match of the week picks. Our match of the week are suggestions we have for you to watch. Um, in the meantime, in between time, but for our next show, uh, Bob, what's your match of the week pick this week? I still remember this match as uh, as a little kid. Um, it was uh, Super Brawl, the very first one, nineteen ninety one. So I had to have been nine years old. It was the first time they were going to put the uh, the Steiner brothers up against Lex Luger and Sting. Um, I remember begging my parents to let me order the pay-per-view, but we had a family gathering where I was going to hang out with you later on in the evening uh, to go to, and they would not let me record it. And I was very, very devastated that I could not um, record it or order it. So that was like the first time I really marked out hard for a pay-per-view because I needed to see that match. And that was, like I said, Super Brawl. Uh, Sting and Lex Luger versus the Steiner Brothers. Still a great match. I eventually got to watch it. Um, you know, but that that's my my vote for the match of the week. Well, man, I'm, I'm I apologize. You know, thirty years later for causing you not to watch that match live. I'm I'm, I'm, oh, well, I'm really sorry. It was about my that. parents' fault. It was not your fault. I just got to hang out with you. You were there at the event. Later on, it was not your fault. Um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not blaming you. Uh, you and I both missed it, obviously, because we were there together. But uh, yeah. I, I still hold this over my parents, um, like you said, 30 years later. So Nice. Well, if you have Peacock, you can go and watch it anytime you want. Yeah, so what, there you go. Damn it. That's what I did for $9.99. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's All right, that, well, I think. What was that? I think I think my Peacock subscription is like only like three ninety nine because I transferred my my network one over, so I think they're only charging me like four bucks. Hey, go for it, man! Hell yeah. That's good. I, they they haven't quite transitioned everything from the old network onto it yet, mm-hmm. but hey, it's it, it's still better than nothing. So yes, indeed. All right. Well, my match of the week pick uh, comes from last night's. Uh, episode of AEW Dynamite. They had a special Saturday night episode, as you know, because uh, they've been getting preempted because of the NBA playoffs. Uh, But 
the I'm talking about the title match between Kenny Omega and Jungle Boy from last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. It was just a fun ass match, you know. I I saw somebody on Twitter saying um, that it reminded them of watching like an old Clash of the Champions, which I, I agree with. You know, it's like those old Clash of the Champions. Uh, were just really fun to watch, and that's exactly what this match reminded me of. Like, this match would have been uh, right at home on one of those old clashes, and um, yeah, it's just two guys in Omega and Jungle Boy who can, you know, go full out, and that's exactly what they did. I mean, Omega eventually, you know, would retain, but Jungle Boy definitely looked good on his part, so. Yeah, there you go. My match of the week is Jungle Boy versus Kenny Omega for the AEW Championship. I remember seeing, uh, I went to a, a local wrestling show. It was here in Chicago. It was uh, Resistance Pro Wrestling. Uh, at one time, it was owned by Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. And, um, you know, maybe this had to have been about four years ago. Uh, I took my son to go see this wrestling show. And, um, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's this scrawny-looking kid with this mangy-looking hair, and then you just start hearing people talk within, like, the 25 people that were in the crowd that night. Um, this is Luke Perry's kid, and it's just like, oh, okay, cool. And, and, and he put on a great match, and it was very surprising, and it's just like, this is the first time I was ever introduced to Jungle Boy, and... Um, Super cool dude, super quiet, super chill. His mom and his grandma or, you know, another family member were in the crowd and they were going nuts for him. And um, it, it was pretty funny. But at the same time, like, he he's grown so much in those four years to see the talent level that he is now. I mean, obviously, as, you know, working these small indie shows, he, he was very sloppy. Um, but so was the other person he was up against. But to see him now and he's main eventing AEW against one of the best wrestlers in the world today I, I i applaud you jungle boy good for you man yeah yeah he definitely definitely showed up for that match last night you know my one of the best one of the most fun matches i've seen in a while you know and aew keeps bringing it man so yeah jungle boy versus kenny omega from last night if you haven't seen it or if you vdr you know, DVR'd it or whatever, watch it. it. You won't be you won't be disappointed. All right. Well, that's the end of this week's uh, episode. I want to thank everybody for listening, and thank you for supporting the podcast. Uh, again, if you uh, want to get in touch with us, there's a couple ways you could do it. You could always email us. Our email address is enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Again, that's enhancementtalent316 at gmail.com. Or you can do like the Mouth of the South Suburbs, Rich Tito, and leave us a comment on our Facebook fan page. Uh, what you can do is just go to Facebook, look up Enhancement Talent, and you could just join the group. Uh, me, Adam, and Bob are all admins, so we can let you in, and we'll also comment or interact with you um, with any comments or concerns that you have. All right. Well, again, that's the end of the show. I want to thank everybody for listening. And for the other half of the fabulous Lopez cousins, Dr. Bob Lopez, I'm Tony Lopez, and we will see you guys next week. Have a good night. Have a good week. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you then.
Bye. Good night.